for IC Church's Favour Women. I'm Marion Wright and this is Favourite Friends, the podcast that aims to build community by sharing the real life stories of Christian women. In this episode of Favourite Friends, I'm going to introduce you to our resident golden girl, Danielle McNally. Danielle, along with her husband Jordan, runs a youth ministry for our Brisbane City campus. I've known Danielle for a little while, but I think this was actually the first time I've sat down and had a conversation with her. She is a bit younger than me, but in talking with her, I was absolutely blown away by the depth and wisdom in her heart. She is studying to be a teacher at the moment, and she currently mentors and leads many young women as part of her role in our youth ministry. If you have a daughter in high school or an early university, get them to listen to this. They are going to love her, and so will you. Here's Danielle. I thought one of the most interesting things about you, and you did tell me this, was that when you were a kid, you spent your childhood traveling around Western Queensland. Yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah, so uh, my parents would do RE and run uh, kids' holiday programs in lots of small towns in Western Queensland, and I got to travel along with them, which was really great. And it started just us as a family, and then it sort of grew into needing teams. So we'd take a busload of people out with us and... And yeah, it was it was such a great experience and you get to meet so many different types of people out there and you get to really experience a whole new world um, and a whole new culture, really. It's so different to Brisbane. It's so different to the city. And yeah, it was a really great childhood. So tell me how long they did that for. How old were you? Were you at school? Yes, I was. So we did... They still do it, actually. Really? Um, I think, I can't remember exactly when they started, but it was definitely before I was in started school. Um, And we would go around during the school time, but during the school, like, term. And then when I got a little bit too old to be missing out on school, they cut back and just did kids' holiday programs in the school holidays. And yeah, that, that was every holiday for me, except for the Christmas holidays would be spent out in towns like Charleville or Quilpie or Gathella, you know, all of those sort of towns out that way. That's really incredible. Yeah. How do you think that shaped you as an adult? I mean, you, you know, sometimes when you're growing older and you look back and you think, wow, that that experience is actually quite formative for me. Do you think that that had a real impact on who you are today? Yeah, definitely. Um, When you go into those sort of towns, you meet so many different people and there's a few things that just really stand out to me. Even now as an adult, I was always taught you can find God in any church. He's always there. and so beautiful. um, Yeah. You know, when you go into those small towns, it's it's usually just one church, not many people, not very extravagant, but God is still there. And, and so I've, I've always grown up with the mentality that it doesn't matter what the music is. It doesn't matter what the preaching's like. It's, it's just God and that's what you're there for. And that's really, it's helped me so much as an adult to just bring it back to the heart of what, what Christianity and what going to church really is about. Um, 
and you can find, yeah, you can find God anywhere. And that's what mum and dad would always say to me because not every church I went to was great or not, not great. Not every church I went to was, um, as extravagant as for example, I see church, but God was still there and the hunger for God was still there. And, you know, some people that I know, they live, you know, out an hour, an hour and a half outside of the closest town on a property. And every Sunday they'll still just come into church and they've got that hunger. They've just got an absolute hunger for God, regardless of what's happening or, or what's going on. They'll always prioritize that. And so, yeah, that, that's always sort of taken me something I've taken with me. That's beautiful. Yeah. And true. Mm. Incredibly true. I I also imagine that you would learn how to talk to anyone. Yes. Right? Yeah. You sort of you you go into a town for a week and small town like people in a small town are so friendly. They're just ridiculously friendly. They'll open up their home to you. They don't even know you. Um, I remember these people, we'd just met them. They owned an Opal Fossa Keen company and they just took us out there free of charge and they didn't even know us for over a week. And so you just, you meet all these people of all different ages, old, young, and you just, you learn to communicate with them. You learn to chat with them and you learn, yeah, to, to just listen and to, to be able to hold a conversation with people that you normally wouldn't necessarily get along with. And it's so valuable, like talking to people that you don't always consider someone that, I don't know how you would say that. Yeah. I Well, I think the older I get, the more I realise that one of the most powerful skills of conversation I have is the ability to listen. Yeah. And I think teaching taught me that. Yeah. Because I think when I was younger, I thought I had to be sociable. And so then I thought I had to be extroverted. So that meant I, I had to be able to talk a lot. Yeah. And I think that, no, the key to good conversation is really the ability to listen yeah. and then speak. Yeah. And that, yeah, that's that's incredible. I, wow. Tell me about your parents. Um, they're amazing. They're so good. They have lived their whole life in Maribara and they've just dedicated everything that they have to uh, serving God and to um, serving the smaller communities. You know, their heart has always been for the people out in those small towns that don't necessarily get to experience Jesus or, or, um, or get to know about God or anything like that. And, and that's their mission field, really. They just love people and they just have given everything. They've given everything that they have and still do to just serving small towns. And they've made such an impact on so many people's lives. And yeah, they've just left little, little bits all over Queensland. And so they're pastors? Yeah, yeah. So um, they've just taken over a pastor in a church at the moment. Um, but until then, they were just fully itinerant. Tell me what it was like growing up with pastor parents. I wasn't um, I wasn't necessarily like the pastor's kid. So um, they were always the youth, youth pastors, but unofficial. Mm. So never really you know, employed by the church or anything. So it was a little bit different for me than um, the other pastor's kids who 
I thought got a little bit of special treatment, you know, the come you've got to always be nice to those sort of kids. Sure. Um, but it was, it was fun. I was always at church throughout the week. Church was where I would go. I'd get there early and I'd leave late on a Sunday. You know, I'd be there helping out, cleaning up during the week, doing all of those things. And it was just fun. It was, um, it was a, it was fun. It was a fun childhood and yeah, it was good. When you grow up in a Christian home with Christian parents, I mean, I, I think I grew up in a, like my parents, I would call them super spiros. And I think when you grow up in that, in that kind of culture, in that environment, it's hard to pinpoint when you actually found it for yourself, you know, cause when it's always mm. there, I don't, yeah, I think I struggled with that when I was younger. Like, was there a moment where I feel like I actually got saved? What Did that happen for you? Um, yeah, I always, I always grew up knowing that I was saved uh, because when I was, when I was four, I sort of went up to mum, apparently, I can't remember it. And we had that conversation and we had the prayer and we did all of that. And it was apparently quite real. I don't know if I should say this. Mm. Um, We can always edit (laughs) it out. You can edit it out. Maybe it's just a funny story. Yeah. Um, When I, the day after I'd sort of given my heart to Jesus, there was this massive scream that came from the toilet and mum and dad came rushing in like, Danielle, what's wrong? And I I was just so upset. And I was like, mum, dad, I've pooed out Jesus. Um, (laughs) Because I knew he was inside of me. That is a beautiful story and I'm tempted to leave it in there. I think that the the innocence of that is just so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a moment where you really fell in love with the church? Because I think that's another important moment in our Christian walk as well. Um, I think growing up in church... For me, being so involved, I've always been so involved. And I think that I've always just just loved uh, being a part of a church, being part of the greater community and all of that. And um, there's never been a moment, you know, sometimes people go through those moments where they resent Mm. or they're like, oh, why am I doing this? Mm. I'm so tired or worn out. But I guess... um, for me, I've just always, I don't know why, it's just always been there. I've always just loved God and I think that, you know, my relationship and my love for God is just what sustains you and, and makes you love the church even more, I guess. Mm, that's a beautiful way of putting it. So you grew up in, okay, do I pronounce it Maryborough? Yeah. Okay. So you grew up in Maryborough, small town, big town. Tell yeah. me about it. I am very deprived of <laughs> country experience, so I'm going to come across extremely um, ignorant. No, some so, people know where it is. Other people have no idea, never yeah, heard of it in their life. So yeah. bear with me. Tell me where it is. Tell me how many people live there. What? the experience of living in a town like that was like yeah so I think there's about 30,000 people there so it's not too small yeah it's um you know probably a few suburbs of Brisbane and it's 
I don't know where it is. It's near Harvey Bay. My north, south, east, west is horrible. I think it's north, maybe. Um, yeah, and it was it was a really great town. It's a town where you sort of you go to the shops for a loaf of bread and you come back an hour later because you've run into five people that you know. Um, and it's just got a really great community feel. It was a really great childhood to grow up in. Um, and it was, yeah, everybody's connected. Everybody knows everybody. And it's, well, not everybody, obviously, because it's pretty big. But, yeah, you just felt safe. You felt like you belonged. And, yeah, it was, it was a really great childhood. I do want to talk to you about moving to Brisbane, but before that, I think um, I want to know a bit more about this time in year 12 mm-hmm. where you got quite sick. So tell me about that. You were sick for a while and no one can figure out what was wrong. Yeah. So yeah. Um, mum and dad got this call from the doctor. I'd gone in for some blood tests and uh, they got a call in the middle of the day saying like, Danielle needs to come to the doctor Im- immediately, really. Um, and so senior parents sort of walk in to the school grounds and pick you up at lunchtime is sometimes great because you miss out on school, but not necessarily when yes. you have to go to the doctor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I remember just sitting in the doctor's surgery thinking, oh, what, what is this? And um, I, I'd lost, I don't know, a lot of blood or something like that. I can't really remember exactly um, – what she, what the doctor was explaining to me, I was sort of just trying to process what it could be. And they'd mentioned things like a lot of different diseases, a lot of, you know, we've tested you for cancer and Crohn's disease, those sort of things, but we need to get you tested immediately. So um, I had to go for all of these different tests. I had to, you know, go on pretty strong medication to get, you know, my blood levels back up and those sort of things. And I missed out on 60% of term two and three of year 12. Which are incredibly important in year 12. Super important. And even when I was there, like I was the school captain and I remember on a Friday I had to go in for a um, a procedure and I was knocked out. I was under the happy gas or whatever you want to call it. And on the Monday I was still trying to recover and I was falling asleep on assembly. It was, it was horrible. It was, it was really hard. Um, and I was pretty disappointed because I really wanted to do well in year 12. I'd worked so hard and, and then this happens and, you know, we prayed and everything was restored quite quickly. And it was, I remember the doctor coming in, going into the doctor's surgery and him saying to me, um, it's a mystery. We don't really know what's happened, but everything that we thought was wrong with you isn't isn't there anymore there's there's no trace of any issues that's incredible and yeah it was it was wow. amazing wow did that have any impact on your ability to graduate and get a senior qualification no it didn't Amazing. Um, I I thought I was going to do really bad I thought I was going to not be able to do well so I applied for this um this program where they look at your results before and after you get sick and they can't change your OP, but they can change your rank for uni. Um, and so I still managed to, I got a really great OP and then, um, I got a scholarship because I did well, even though I was sick. Um, and they lowered my rank even to a, to a better rank, which, um, 
was amazing, even though I didn't use it and I didn't even get to use my scholarship because you could only use it for one year and I went to Bible college, but that's, that's what it is. So when you're going through this experience, you're 16, 17, yeah. and you're quite sick. Even as a teenager, did that teach you something about God? How did that experience shape your faith? Yeah, it was it was pretty tough. And I just remember thinking, I don't want to tell many people about this. I just want people who are faith-filled to surround me and to lift me up and 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 so not many people knew what was what was going on just you know my family and some people at church and I just I I think I learned in that experience that whatever you go through God is still good and you know it's tough things happen and they suck but God is still faithful and when you surround yourself with people who can encourage you and people who can lift you up uh, that's the greatest thing that you can do and that's what I've sort of taken with me and in, in into my adulthood is whatever I'm face, God's just good. I think that's incredibly wise of you even then to know who to talk to mm. when you're going through a tough time. Because I think even now I've had moments where I've walked away from a conversation and I thought that was probably the wrong person to have that conversation with because I don't feel like yeah. I benefited from it at all. And in fact, it's probably skewed my thinking, not towards God, yeah. but maybe in the opposite direction, you yeah. know? And I, yeah, I think that that's incredibly wise advice to know that you don't have to tell everyone mm. when you're going through something and to choose people who are going to, yeah, lift you up mm. in the faith. Yeah. I think, yeah, that's quite profound for me, Danielle. Right <laughs> that's good. That's good. Um, so you graduated high school. Yeah. You got given the scholarship. Yeah. And instead you went to Bible college. Yeah. So tell me about that. How did that happen? Did God speak to you? I think I always just knew this. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to go to Bible college. And... It was so random. We were at a pastor's conference and there was a stall that said Metro Leadership College, which is now I see. And there was, you know, more well-known Bible colleges around like Youth Alive and those sort of ones. But I just felt that that was the right one for me. And I don't know why I made that choice, but I'm so glad that I did because it was a great choice. So the heavens didn't part above the sign and... No. Light didn't shine out. Like, I wish oh, it did. <laughs> go this way. It wasn't like that. That would have been great. Yeah, helpful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, cool. Was that tough to leave, you know, this comfort and the safety of this town and, you know, your parents obviously established in their community? Was that a hard choice to make? Yeah, it was hard. I think you don't really think about it until you move and you get there. And you, you think, oh, yeah, it's going to be so great. Like Brisbane is the ideal, you know, everybody wants to move to Brisbane from Maribara. That's what you do. You move away. Um, but then when you get to Brisbane and, and you sort of understand things and you'll notice a lot of people actually, you know, from small towns like Maribara especially, they go back. They do move they? back because they just can't handle it. I think for me... 
I got quite a culture shock moving to Brisbane. It's very different. Um, even though it's it's still Australia, it's still Queensland, it's still all of these things, but uh, it's so different in terms of the pace and the lifestyle. Do you think that culturally even church felt different? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Church was very different. Yeah. Um, I still, I came from a Pentecostal church, yeah. but it looks very different yeah. in Maryborough to what it looks like here. Yeah. yeah. How old were you when you moved? I was 16. You were 16? Yeah. Did you move by yourself? Oh, actually, no, I was 17. You were 17. I just turned 17. Yeah. In December, and then I moved in January. Yeah. By yourself? By myself. To Brisbane. To Where Brisbane. did you live? I lived for six months with uh, Cynthia and Sarah. Yes. Um, oh, they're nice girls. Yeah, they were yeah. good. It was a good introduction, yeah. I think. It was, you know, they looked after me. They they showed me church and and it was it was a pretty good introduction. And then Cynthia got married. So I moved in with this sweet, lovely, older lady, actually um, a mother of some people that we knew from Western Queensland. So Beautiful. that was nice. And yeah. she really looked after me until I got married. So then after I got married, you know. Beautiful. But, yeah, it was, yeah, she was lovely. It was really oh, good. That's beautiful. Tell me about Bible College. How long were you there? I was there for two years. Yeah. Yeah. What was it like? It was amazing. It was um it was a really good experience and I'm so thankful that I got the opportunity to do it um, or that I just chose to do it really. I was so young um, and I'm, I was really grateful I, I got to do it with, with Jordan and with Emily to, to my good friends. We all got to experience it together and even for me growing up in a Christian family, going to church, reading the Bible, I just felt like I, I wanted a little bit of a deeper knowledge and a deeper experience with God. And it was, college is just indescribable. It was uh, something that I never experienced before, getting that sort of head knowledge, but also experiencing the Holy Spirit at the same time. And, and you just come out of it completely different. And your attitude is different. God deals with things that you didn't even know needed to be dealt with and um and yeah it's just this incredibly unique experience where where you just come in and and you just dedicate a year or two to God and and it really transforms you it sounds cliche but it does it's not for the faint-hearted though no it's it's tough uh, interning is tough. It was really, it was two tough years for me. And they were long days on Fridays when I would intern for youth. Emily and I would start doing a breakfast program at schools at 6.30 in the morning, we would be there. And then, you know, you'd probably drop your last kid home at 11.30 that night. And you learn so much. You learn about the attitude of serving. You learn about keeping a sweet spirit. You learn about how to guide people and um, it's valuable, but it's tough. So tell me about that. Tell me about how you keep a sweet spirit mm. when you are you are flogging yourself. You know, really, mm. like if we're being realistic, the interning experience is you being put through the ringer 
in mm-hmm. every single way. And I, I love looking at it like this very condensed growth experience in which you're going to grow very quickly, but quite painfully, yeah. you know, and I, you know, being in positions like that myself, you resent the experience while it's happening, but how, yeah, how do you maintain good attitude to service and a sweet spirit? I wish I could say I was great at it at the time, um, but it it wasn't. It doesn't come naturally. It's um it's a conscious decision that you have to make, really. And I think after a little while, I just got sick of having a bad attitude or you know being worn out and and mentally drained. And I just thought, well, for my sanity here, I have to realize I'm here to learn. I'm here to grow and I'm paying to be here. So I might as well get the best out of it and the most out of it that I can. And I think it's just about changing your attitude for yourself, really, because your attitude and your sweet spirit, it, it's not, um, it's detrimental sometimes if you don't have it for you. Um, and not just to you, but to others. Yeah, it becomes yeah. quite toxic. Yeah, and it, it bleeds into everything, yeah. doesn't it? I I love looking at education that way in that it's not what it can give to me, but what I can take out of it. Yeah. And that's a very conscious choice. Oh, for sure. Of any learning experience, we can't be like, what do you have to give me? You know, it's very much what we choose to take out of it. Like, did you have a plan after college? Were you hoping for something to happen? I had no plan. I I didn't know what, I didn't know anything. I had no idea. And when I left my second year, I was thinking, what am I going to do? Um, and I deferred uni. So I thought, oh, maybe I'll, I'll go and do that. But I'd gotten, I'd gotten accepted to study psychology and it wasn't, what I wanted to do once I got into the real world and realized what it is. And, and so I thought, oh, maybe I'll do speech therapy or I'll do something allied health like. And so I was going through these processes of reapplying and doing QTAC and, and all of that. Um, but I was, I was a bit clueless and, um, I got married pretty much straight after, I graduated Bible college in the February after and for about that six months, the first six months of, of being married and after Bible college, I didn't do much. I got a job and it was a horrible job working at a call center and it was pretty, it was pretty tough um, for me because it was, it wasn't a, I wasn't an enjoyable experience. Let's talk about Jordan. Mm. When you said you met Jordan when you were seven. Oh, yeah. Is that right? Yeah, I For did. the first time. I did. What was that? I like, don't remember how did, him. how did that happen? I don't, I don't remember it. I remember his family, actually, and I was really good friends with his younger brother. Um, but I don't remember Jordan. We met them out in Western Queensland as well. Um, and, and apparently he came up and he said to me, you know, do you know my cousin, Blaze? And I said no and then I walked off and that was sort of our first encounter with each other. But he was away quite a bit, you know, on tennis camps or whatever when we were 
visiting those towns. So I never really got to spend time with him. It was more his his brothers and and sisters that I got to hang out with, which was nice. And so how how did this happen between you two? Yeah, it he started to come along on mission trips actually with with my family and travel around in the bus and those long bus trips, well breeding ground for romance (laughs) (laughs) especially like pre-social media we didn't have anything to do but talk to each other oh that's powerful (laughs) yeah um yeah yeah so we just sort of developed this really great friendship over about three years while I was in school and I wasn't allowed to date when I was in school so he he had to wait and he told dad that he was waiting to date me he didn't tell me which was good because that's the worst thing you can do. Um, but, yeah, we, we met and we just developed this really great friendship um, while we were on mission trips and we didn't live in the same town. The only time we saw each other was in the school holidays. But, yeah, we just had this connection. Did you Were you ever confused about him being it? Um, oh, for a little while. I don't know if this is the right thing to say. The pastor's son at our church had a little bit of a, he was convinced he was going to marry me. Bless. There's always one of those yeah. boys around. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and he actually told Jordan that I was, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And right. I wasn't sure. I don't know. But I just, I said, God, I can't deal with this. So just get rid of him. And he moved away. <laughs> and so God did get rid of not, him. Not literally. <laughs> which was good yeah um my mom said one of the most powerful prayers her and dad used to pray every every time I started dating a dude was lord let your will be done in this relationship yeah and inevitably it would fall apart because (laughs) it was not god's will and so my mom said we never prayed to get rid of yeah. Marion, we just always prayed that God's will would be done. That's so funny. I know. And rather so, passive aggressive yeah. now that I think about it. Quite but smart. Put I'm the blame very, on God. Very grateful. Yeah. <laughs> so did he, did Jordan move to Brisbane? He moved to Brisbane. Was yeah. that before you started dating or after? Yeah, before. So a year before I moved yeah. to Brisbane, he moved. Yeah. And then we both went to Bible college when yeah. I moved down. Did you both talk about the fact that you had that same plan to move to Brisbane or Bible college? Or were you surprised by the fact that he just turned up one day? <laughs> he was planning. He actually moved down to Brisbane to study. Yeah. So he, I knew he was moving down to go to uni. And then he um, left that and decided he wanted to go to Bible college. And he was going to go to City Point. And so I was trying to convince him to come to Metro um, or IC. And, and he did, which was good. I was like, it's more hands on. You'll get more out of it. It'll be really great. Wow. You are a walking um, college ad. Yeah. <laughs> well done. Have you been on a college promotional video? Um, I have, and you it have. was quite okay. embarrassing. It well was done, not great. Right? My responses as previously. I'm sure they were <laughs> honest though. Oh, they yeah. were. Yeah. It was the one I'm adjective sure. for all of them. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. But it was, and it is. I mean, yeah. I only did college for a semester no I did it for a year I did it for a year and even for me it was painful and you know growth is awkward and ugly yeah but gosh it's a safe place to do it yeah you know and so it is when you look back now you're like wow that was a really 
incredible experience. Yeah. So amazing is absolutely the right adjective for it. Yeah. Did you guys start dating at Bible college? We did. Yeah. You know, we'd waited so long for this moment and it was it was the right timing for us. Yeah. How old were you? I would have been 17 when we started dating. Yeah. Wow. So you got married at 19. I got married at 19. That's very young to be a bride. Very young. Did you feel, like, worried about that? No. I think Jordan and I had this maturity, I guess. Um, I mean, I look back at people who are my age now, like when I got married, and I think, oh, how did I get married at 19? You're so young. But I think for us it was the right timing. Jordan had a full-time job. If he didn't have a full-time job, there was we wouldn't have gotten married because we couldn't sustain ourselves. And so we were wise about it as well. Um, but I wasn't concerned. I wasn't worried. I was just... I think you sort of just go into it blind, young and in love. So that was where we ended up. Because the human in me, I mean, even when I met Josh, I was very conscious of the fact that once I chose him and once I was sure, it was like a no to any other possibility. Mm. And I think when you're young, that's a hard decision to make because you haven't lived as much life. I mean, I, I met Josh when I was 21, but... I dated enough dodgies to know yeah. what this was like out there. Yeah. And so I was like, do you know what? I'm good. I'm good. This is it for me. Yeah. But do you, like, was, yeah. that, was that hard for you to be like, oh, my gosh, all the possibilities of my life? It actually wasn't. It, yeah, I cool. didn't. I think I was so young and I hadn't, exp- I hadn't dated anybody else, so I hadn't even thought about that. I hadn't thought of any other possibility. I just thought, you know, I've... I've been such a great, great friend with this guy for so long. And for me, you know, we had some, in our family, we had some pretty defining moments that um, would he just got. And a lot of people, it's, it's hard to explain those things to people, but he walked through those journeys with us, um, you know, with his family and, and those sort of things. And it was, it was really precious and really special that, um, that he was able to, to be there just as a friend in those moments, but he was there. Um, and yeah, I hadn't really thought about any other options to be I, honest. I think that's beautiful. Cause I, someone at work asked me, how did you know that Josh was it? And I, I didn't give them my spiritual answer, but I said to them, we were fused together by circumstance. Mm. And I think when you're part of someone's life, especially when they're going through a tough thing, mm. they they actually really become part yeah. of not just your world but part of you. And I think because of that circumstance, I just knew like yeah. we, we have been fused together because of this and it's just this is it now. Yeah. This is who we are. That's awesome. So married at 19, mm. what was marriage like? At 19 years old. <laughs> I mean, would you recommend it to everyone? No. No. I wouldn't. And everybody is different. Um, what's right for one person is not right for the other. But, yeah, I think circumstances. And I just think for us, we knew it was the right thing to do. I I loved Jordan before I even started dating him. And I, I just knew that that, that was... I just knew and um, and I think, 
you know, you're young, you're 19, you're 20, you get married and it's, it's different. It's not like yeah. you have your life together. I don't even think I had any savings when we got married. Yeah. Um, but the beautiful thing about it is we got to sort of, um, to grow together and to change yeah. Yeah. and to grow each other. And you, you watch these people develop into, um, in, into who they are and, we yeah. get to build a life together. Like we start, we still all of our most of our furniture, apart from our couch, is all just what was given to us. Yeah. Um. And so we're gradually just building this life, literally yeah. from scratch, together. Together. That's beautiful. You chose to volunteer at youth. Mm. Did you? Yeah. So you did. You chose. Yeah, to I volunteer. chose. Yeah. Why? Why youth? Yeah. This was a tough question because I don't actually. I didn't. I didn't feel passionate about youth, in all honesty, at that time. I didn't feel like I, you know, I I was called to youth ministry. I didn't feel any of that stuff. I just, it was the next pro progression, I guess. When you, when you finish school, you become a youth leader. It makes sense. Um, so I did that and it, it wasn't really any conscious decision. I just did it. And I think as I served more and as I, invested more of myself and more of my emotional energy and time into the teenagers and into the ministry itself that was when my passion really began to develop and I think that yeah for me I just chose it because it seemed like the right thing to do the next step and then as I as I served and as I invested I just became more more passionate and um yeah, more driven to to see things change and to invest into teenagers. It's not a glamorous department to serve in. Mm. I remember Pastor Dave Hammers once describing youth ministry as the armpit of mm. the <laughs> Yeah. And it's very that's very appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. What keeps you at youth? I think, to be honest. It's just the teenagers. I'm so, I'm so passionate about leaving an impact on people's lives. And I think um, for me, I wanted to, to study psychology because I just wanted to make a positive impact in, in people's lives. And I, I think that's the same with youth is I just want to make a positive impact. And when kids get to 40 or 50, I want them to look back and think, oh, who was that crazy youth leader that pushed me in my faith that encouraged me and you know I'm here because because of that and um that's really what keeps me going is just the fact that I have the opportunity to leave a legacy that's a lot more than just me and my family but it can it can go out into a lot of a lot of other people it's beautiful you work with lots of young women teenagers what are we talking about in terms of age range? Um, yeah, probably mainly grade 7 to 12. Yeah. So like 12 to yeah. 16 or 17 yeah. years old. And I imagine the topic of life's purpose and direction would mm. come up a lot with them. How, I guess firstly, I want to ask you how you figure that out for yourself and then what advice would you give to other young girls or young women who are in the same boat and trying to figure out what to do with their life? 
yeah, I had no idea what I wanted to do when I finished school. And it was tough because you have to know, apparently, you've got to, in year 10, you need to know, well, actually it's year nine now, you need to know what you want to do, you need to have your set plan ready to go. And I hated that pressure. I felt like I was a failure because I didn't know. And well, you seem like you don't have ambition. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I always felt like I needed to. I needed yeah. to prove to people that I had direction and ambition and I knew where I was going. And I felt like if I didn't, then I would be a yeah. loser, I suppose. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. And I think so many people in year 12 ask you, what do you want to do when you graduate? And I was, my answer is, I don't know. And I think for me, I felt like that wasn't okay, but it actually, it was okay to not know. At 17, you have no idea what you want to do with your life. Your whole life is ahead of you. And I think my advice is just, just do what you're passionate about. Just do something and you'll, you'll find it. I, I went to Bible college and one night after I graduated, I was sitting there sick in bed, uh, married for, you know, three or four months. And I just felt in my spirit, I need to study teaching. I'm just going to study it. And I'd never wanted to be a teacher. It had never crossed my mind. I'd never wanted to go back to school. I was like, I'm not being a teacher because I don't want to go back to school. It's not a respected, like, you know, people don't respect teachers. They don't get paid well, all of these, you know, things. I thought that staff rooms were where teachers went to die. (laughs) I just thought they were the most depressing places. Yeah. I would hate going to them as a student. Yeah. And now I live in them. Yeah, it's true. Um, But I just felt it in my spirit and I went to my first lecture and I loved it Mm. it was it and I just thought this is what I need to be and that was like three and a half years after I graduated Mm. so take the pressure off and just you'll if you're doing something and you're doing what you're passionate about and you're doing um you're not just sitting around it Mm. it will come to you it Mm. will it might be three or four years time but you're never too old to go to uni. You're never too, mm. you know, young to start going to uni. And I think it's tough, but just take the pressure off yourself a little bit. Mm. And I think it's probably important to remember that sometimes doing the thing that you're passionate about is not necessarily the job that you're being paid exactly. for. Like you had your dodgy job yeah. for a while that yeah. made you feel horrible yeah. and made your life horrible. But you were probably still doing youth, yeah. which you were very passionate about. Yeah. I mean, some days, and I know that education is my life's work. I'm yeah. very aware of that. But some days I feel much more passionate about this, yeah. what we're doing right now. I look forward to that way more than the yeah. drafts that I will be marking tomorrow afternoon. Exactly. You know, and so I think we look for meaning in the things that perhaps we, I don't know, attribute financial value yeah. to, but often they're not. They're not. Right? Yeah. And so I think that's important to remember that the dodgy job, but then maybe having the passionate outlet yeah. is part of the process yeah. to finding out. To finding yeah, it. it's yeah. not going to happen. I mean, yeah, I I started studying business before I got into education. And, you know, I read that I think, I don't know if this is just for millennials, but our generation mm. is probably going to have seven or eight careers yeah. in our lifetime yeah. because we're we're not our parents' generation who really wanted security and that yeah. long term Yeah, the long job. Yeah, the, the long 20, the 20 year job. But I know we would much rather 
I don't know, chop and change and try new things. Yeah. And I think that's okay. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, so you, you and Jordan run youth together. Yeah. So we look after the city campus. Sure. Um, and that involves the teenagers, but also organizing the Friday nights and the leaders and, and all the rosters and those sort of things that, that come along with it really. Daniel, I was a youth leader once, mm. once in my time. And I remember the reality of it quite well. Yeah. Can you give us a glimpse into what, what a week is like for you? Yeah. Um, all, every week's sort of a little bit different, but you know, being a youth leader means that you, you're running a connect on a Wednesday, but not a connect where you have adults that drive to your house and and that you're picking up kids, you're dropping them off uh, on a Friday. You, uh, you you run youth. You're you're setting up. You're packing up. You're doing all of that. Um, throughout the week, you're pastorally caring, so letting kids know about what's happening, calling them up, seeing if they're all right. Um, and then on a Friday, on a Sunday, you still can't switch off. You're still a youth leader. You've got to you know make sure that those kids are included. That you know you're chatting to them. It's, it's really a full-time job, even, even as a volunteer, it's something that a lot of conscious decisions have to be, you know, you can't, when your staff has a trivia night or something on a Friday, you don't go to that. You, you go to youth. It's, it's what happens. It's a lifestyle choice. It's full on. Is that choice harder for you now that you're working and you know, obviously your world is getting a bit bigger now with uni and work. Is that hard for you? Um, oh, not really. It's, it's a lot. Like it's, I've got to be very conscious about my time and I've got to be very, you know, rigid with how I do things. And it is, what is the hardest part for me is that because my world is getting bigger, you feel like you can't necessarily give a hundred percent into everything. Um, and necessarily you can't give a hundred percent always into, into the connect or into the, into what you would like to do. And that's, that's what's hard is because yeah, you just, you have so much that you need to do, but 24 hours in a day sometimes isn't enough. And isn't that, I remember learning, I think I I remember going through a stage like that and a, a very good friend of mine said to me, well, then you just have to understand your margin and what God can fill in the rest with. Yeah. And so I just remember turning up to something once and saying to God on the way there, I have 20% to give this. So you show up with your 80 tonight, please, because I don't, I will be here and I will be a vessel (laughs) and you have to do the rest. And I think even in seasons like that, because it's important to say that while you are doing this job, you are also doing another job, which is your paid job. You're studying education. And because you're doing English, you are also reading books and probably mm. marking things in the process. So your time, your week is full. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so it's not, yeah, it's not an easy thing no. to take on. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's. It's incredibly admirable and I'm not a parent, but I know that there is a community of parents who are very grateful for what you give yeah. and what your team gives. Our team is great, you know. 
you rely on a good team yeah. and you need that. Yeah. And, um, and it makes youth a whole lot easier when yeah. you've got people you can rely on. Yeah. Which is really good. And I, look, as a teacher, I, I know firsthand what kind of emotional investment mm. working with teenagers requires. And you don't yeah. just do that during the week. You do it on a weekend. Do I'm one yeah. of those people who doesn't want to talk to them <laughs> yeah. on the weekend. I'm done by Friday afternoon. Yeah. I'm good, Danielle. And yeah. so you are doing on top of that. Yeah. And I think, I really think there's there's a special blessing for that mm. and and a real anointing for that. Mm. And I, I think it's awesome. Yeah. It's incredible. Danielle, you have been serving in church a long time and you talked about keeping a sweet spirit and I imagine your attitude to service ties in with that. Mm. What's your attitude on service and how do you keep the right attitude about service to God? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think I... I just always look at it like I'm serving God and it's it's all about God. It's all about extending his kingdom. It's all about letting other people know about how great our God is and the nitty-gritty, the you know, the flaws that are in people because we're all flawed. I'm extremely flawed. Um I need to look past and I need to get past that, you know, the weariness I need to get past the, you know, the frustrations and all of those things and just bring it back to the heart of I'm serving God. I'm not serving, you know, a thing or a ministry or anything other than God. And when it comes back to that, and I need to, I always constantly have to remind myself of that. It's a, it's a conscious decision. I am serving God and um, reminding myself that, that that's what I'm here for. That's, that's our purpose is to serve God. And, um, and it's not easy. Like there have been times where I've had not a great attitude, but it's like we said, it's toxic. And for yourself, for your own sanity, you just need to get back to that place where it's like, well, God, I'm serving you. I'm not serving people. I'm serving for you. And you refresh me, you refill me you do what you need to do for me so I can do it for others but yeah getting caught up in the nitty-gritty frustrations it's not good for anybody it doesn't complaining it's not good like just is it going to matter in five years probably Mm. not so just I just deal with it you get on with it and you just try so hard to just remember you know people things programs nothing's ever going to be 100% great and I think sometimes that's where your attitude gets a little bit you know weary you expect the church to have it all together all the time you know I think like we said it's about looking after yourself Mm. and it's about not being you know I used to be a yes person I'd just say yes to everything why I think I was I just wanted I was a people pleaser yeah I was a real people pleaser and um, and I think, you know, as you get older and, and as I've served more, my heart 
is still there. I just want to help people, but it's different. There's a maturity there about it now. And it's not like I'm pleasing you because I want to make you happy. I'm serving because I'm serving God. Um, but yeah, I, I just think sometimes it's okay to have a bad day. It's okay, you know, in leadership to be tired and worn out, but you've just got to look after yourself and Mm. you've got to take some time out and be real, but yeah, not get to the point where you're, you're having that complaint fest and you're complaining so much because you spiral Mm. and, and you get to a place where it's really hard to mentally dig yourself out of that. Mm. Um, I think it's about catching your thoughts and um, stopping them sometimes and holding on to the right thoughts and, yeah, looking after yourself and, you know, encouraging people as well. I think that's a really big thing, like looking after your community, looking after our church, looking after the people that, like Pastor Paul and Joe and encouraging them and encouraging our pastors and, yeah. I I, I also think... You need to know if the need is spiritual or physical. I think there have been lots of times where I feel like I've been in a bit of a weird spiral at church where I just am like cranky and then I think it's spiritual and then on the way home I'm like, yeah, but I don't actually remember last time I got a good night's sleep. Oh, yeah, for sure. Perhaps this weekend I just won't do much, you know, and that's the reality of it. Yeah, you have to know yourself. Yeah. And, you know, I... At the moment, you know, you haven't haven't had a break any Saturdays off because, you know, you're doing assignments or you're, you're doing lots of things since February and you're tired. And so you, I'm, a, I'm well and truly aware of that. So it's about putting myself in positions where I'm not going to, to snap at people or, or do things that I'll regret. You've got to really look after yourself. And even though you, ha- you don't get a full Saturday off, take some time out. And just to care and look after yourself. Yeah. And know know yourself. Yeah. I think I read something by Seth Godin, who I don't know if you know, and he said that we need to stop pretending that perfection is something that everyone wants from us. Yeah. I don't know why we think that. Yeah. And I I just realised I don't want to do that anymore. No. I just want to be real because it's mm. too exhausting yeah. to try and be anything else it really is yeah and so I walked into a class yesterday and I was like guys I've had five hours of sleep I'm very tired can everyone just be chill today and they were like yeah okay yeah and people <laughs> respect that they yeah. they prefer it when you're real and yeah. open yeah. you know yeah it's yeah. so true do you think teenagers today are different than they were 10 years ago um, I think, I think a lot of things still remain the same in terms of, um, their developmental stage, you know, where the things that they're going through, like, you know, the hormones, yeah. <laughs> you know, the things that they're, the, well, the hormones, the as well. hormones, That's what, legit. what they're going yeah. through is it all remains the same. I think a, a lot of it, yeah. especially with girls like body image, identity, relationships, all of those things are still where they were back then. But I think the way that those issues and, and things manifest themselves now are really different because of things like social media mm. and um, they're more persistent, they're more, um, more there and I think 
that's what changes the teenagers a little bit Mm. and changes their experience compared to ours perhaps Mm. is the addition of the issues of social media to the issues that we were dealing with as well. And Mm. I think that's probably the biggest change with teenagers. And I think, you know, when you work with teenagers Mm. like we do, the complexity of the teenage experience is something that is in our face every single day. So I find I never get too far away from it because I'm back (laughs) at high school all the time and I'm constantly talking to young people about this kind of stuff. But I think I talk to my parents and they don't remember what it was like being a teenager and I think it is something that we can be really far removed from and we even trivialize you know oh this is just something that you're going through right now but this is not something you'll experience forever but the teenage experience is really formative Mm. it actually really shapes us do you do you think there's things today that young men and young women are dealing with that we don't really understand yeah i'd say and like i said i think it's all to do with um I'm not, I don't hate social media, I'm not anti-social media or any of that, but I think that the issues and the things that they're dealing with are so much more real and so much more in your face than what we ever had to experience. And visually uh, represented. Yeah. We could talk about things in an abstract sense, Yeah. but it wasn't, you're right, in yeah. our face, on our phones. Phones, 24-7. Yeah, without any limit. You know? Yeah. yeah. It's all there. It's all accessible. Yeah. And yeah. How do you think that's affecting them? Um, I think, you know, in some senses it's really great. They get to communicate. They get to, you know, to experience things. And they have this um, this great new resource that we didn't get to, to have as a child, as a teenager, but I also think it can be quite um, harmful sometimes in terms of, you know, things like identity, um, the photos that they see are all photoshopped, but you don't believe it because it's all on Instagram or all on social media. Um, and, you know, that teenagers are trying to present two identities these days. They're trying to present, you know, trying to figure out who are, who am I as a person, but also who do I want to represent myself as on social yeah, media what's my brand? yeah and um they're dealing with all of these things and it's a very uh connected world not like we've ever experienced you know they can they can see and experience and talk to people on the other side of the world so easily now and know so much about them um so easily and i think it's just tough as a teenager it yeah. it's really it's, it's tough to navigate those sort of things and they don't they they haven't fully developed to be able to have that capacity to to understand what's actually happening can I ask you something I mean we are not experts in any means about teenagers no. but do you think that there's something that mums need to better understand about their daughters <sighs> this is a tough one yeah I don't um, because I'm not a parent. Yeah, I'm, I'm not, not either. Um, and I'm not, like you said, I'm not an expert in teenagers or anything like that. I think the important thing to remember with teenagers is just keeping a open communication 
and not necessarily coming from things from a place of, you know, anger or judgment or, you know, um, but just coming from a relationship and, and actually having communication about what's happening in your child's life and, and, you know, even the issues around social media and those sort of things, being able to, to talk to them about that and being able to, um, keep those lines open is just what I think is really important. It's so hard though. I mean, I work with teenage girls and I genuinely will have this inner conflict where I know something's going on with a girl and there's a part of me that just does not even want to know. I don't even want to go there because I'm afraid of what I might uncover. Yeah. (laughs) If I feel that bad and then it all comes out, I will have to deal with it. And I say that too as someone who's not a parent. Yeah. I only, I only teach them. I don't parent them. Yeah. But it, it could be a confronting experience. Oh, it's, it's horrible. I could say, imagine. Tell me about, like, also you're angry at that friend, but then you're also upset that she posted that thing about you. But yeah. then there's also a boy involved. And then there's also, you know, the levels of it are incredibly yeah. it's messy. And it's, so la- and it's all on social media. Like, yeah. she unfollowed me. Yeah. Yes, that and the next yeah. thing. And, and she liked that photo, but then she didn't like that photo. Yeah. Yeah. Is it... <laughs> It's a whole, there's a rule book, like, I just think there's this, you know, unspoken rule book about what you do and don't do with social media, you know, if you don't do a birthday shout out, do you like the person, that sort of, I've missed so many birthdays, I'm horrible. Yeah, yeah, same, yeah. But. (laughs) It's really hard, and I think. I think some of the times where I felt like I've had to have lots of wisdom and lots of stuff to say, I I often refrain now from giving advice. Mm. I just say to them, do you just want someone to listen or can I help you through this somehow? Yeah. And they will say, I just want to talk. Okay. And they don't get to, they actually, and this sounds really old and cynical of me and I could be wrong, but I don't think they get to talk things out as much as they Mm. You know, as might we might have used to, mm. because everything is texting or messaging or instant messaging. Oh my gosh, yeah. And so they genuinely just need to word vomit everything. Yeah, but there's not always that opportunity. Yeah, yeah. And I think even saying one of the things I've learned from teaching that has been really powerful actually is that I always got taught that you make eye contact, you know, with young people. And then I did a PD with a behavior management specialist and she actually said that you should actually sit side by side. And she said, that's why teenagers always open up when they're in the car because they're not looking at you directly. There is no threat. There is no like confrontation. Wow. There's no need for you to tell me what's going on right now while you're making eye contact with them. And so I often in my mm. classroom will say, come sit next to me and I'll pull up a chair and we'll just look at something else. And I say, tell me what's going on. And suddenly it, yeah. just, it just opens. It's amazing. Or at, on playground duty, I'll say, I'm on playground duty. Come take a walk with me. Yeah. And so we walk around and they will just tell me stuff, you know, and sometimes yeah. this is boys boys will just tell me stuff yeah and I think yeah the car conversation yeah. is like that's a good 
good place yeah. to do it. Yeah. And I think often the boys will say to me, no, nah, I just want to listen to my music. I don't want to walk around with you. And I say, no, put your phone away. Come for a walk. Yeah. And they just open up. It's yeah. actually quite amazing. That is amazing. It's a very powerful way to have yeah. a conversation with a kid. And it's not threatening. Yeah. That's what I've realized. Boys think everything's a threat. Yeah. To their and you can hide your shock on your face as well a little bit with it. Absolutely. Because <laughs> when they disclose that thing oh. you have to document later, yeah. you, they don't witness they your don't. reaction. They <laughs> don't know. Absolutely. Yeah. What – I want to end with this. What do you think that teenage girls – need to understand about themselves Mm. yeah I think that you know teenage girls just need to understand that not just but you know something that they need to understand maybe is that they're just it's a tough time being a teenager and that's all right They don't need to have it together. And, um, you know, you're trying to find out who you are. You're trying to find out who your friends are, what you want to do with your life, where you want to go. It's confusing. Things are changing. And that's all okay. And it's okay to not have it together. It's okay to know exactly what you want to do. Um, And I think... The most important thing is that you surround yourself with a few good Christian um, people who can help you on your journey, who can be with you. And, um, yeah, I think it's important to understand the value and the um, the importance of having good Christian friends and, and not just always – and it's hard sometimes when you go to state school um, – but I think it's really important to surround yourself with some good Christian people mm. as well. And even if you can't mm. at school, yeah. if there's one person that makes you feel better yeah. about who you are, yeah. that's the friend you want to keep. Yeah. You know, and I always felt in high school I had to have lots of friends. Yeah. But I think really I had three. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> three really good friends that yeah. I could just be myself with. That weren't going to judge me. That I didn't have to worry about yeah. being a certain way around. That's important. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that's right. Yeah. What? There's no wrong answer. But- <laughs> I don't know if that's right. I don't know. I don't know what teenagers need to know about themselves. Well, you, but like you work, you know, the process that you walk through with some of these mm. girls and the complexity of the identity issues, the career mm. direction issues, the relationship mm. issues. It's, it is a really hard thing yeah. to walk through people with. Yeah, they, yeah, navigating it all. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that, if they have one person in their life who is talking to them from a place of wisdom... Yeah. That can change everything. For sure. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Favourite Friends. Just so you know, Danielle is also currently being featured in our most recent issue of Favourite Magazine, which is out now. You can buy it online at our favourite store at ICchurch.com or your local IC Church campus. 
This issue is all about gratitude and in case you missed it, our very own Pastor Joe was here with us in our last episode talking all about the power of gratitude in our everyday lives. You can scroll back up in our feed to listen to it. If you like this episode, why don't you share it, subscribe, and I will see you next time. Thank you.